and you can just see the dogs at the end of the day that just just want to take a big sigh and go i'm not quite sure what you want that's what i call unclean training that's a bit mucky Welcome to Learning About Dogs, a podcast for people who love learning about dogs. I'm Sue McGuire, the manager of a canine behavior program at a small nonprofit animal shelter just north of San Francisco. And with me is Kay Lawrence of Learning About Dogs. Today we start what is going to be a multi-part podcast about the concept of clean training. And as Kay says, advanced training is rarely about increased complexity, but exploring the complexities that are within simple behaviors. And that starts with how we train, clean training. Let's talk about clean training. And and I I specifically wanted to talk about this subject because I feel like this could, uh, this could take us like two or three days to talk about or two, three years to complete. But uh, let's, let's start with, uh, first of all, a definition. Uh, what do you can, what is your definition of when somebody says, okay, what do you mean by clean training? So if I was watching somebody train an animal that I don't know about, um, I don't know, an iguana or a seal or a bird, the clean training to me, it would look clean because that animal has absolutely no doubt about what they're doing. They're full of confidence. They, there's no hesitation in the behaviors. And it just looks clean. So somebody often says to me, would well, you think I ought to do so and so and so and so, or do it this way, or do it that way, or how do you think I ought to do it? It's really up to the dog. So should you feed in position and then give a release cue and reset the behavior? You, you ask the dog. If the dog shows you in their behavior that it makes them hesitant, so say you were sending out to a target and when the dog arrived at the target, you clicked and then you needed to go free or release for the dog to come back to you to get the treat. Or are you going to go up there and give the treat? Or does the dog wait there because you clicked? You know, all of these things are written all over the dog. If you've got the eyes to not just watch them, but actually observe whether they fully understand what's happening and have confidence in understanding what is happening. So if your marker is a bit mucky, you'll see it because the dog goes back and tentatively tries what they think you want as opposed to go, gotcha. Mm -hmm. And the same with the reinforcement process. So if they've gone to a target like a bed or a mat and it's a stay on target, when you click, my dogs will come flying back towards me because I my click means orientate to me, let's go and get a piece of food. But the click orientation, as soon as they orientate to me, they'll see me heading for the treat pot, which gives them the information they need to come with me not should I wait are you coming back or are you not coming back and if I was going back I would tell them to wait and because they're waiting that would get the click so it's about being clear what you're doing not just watching somebody do it a certain way and go oh I'll try that and then the dog ends up with these different mixed protocols that leaves them a little bit hesitant about how to respond what to do and you can just see the dogs at the end of the day that just, just want to take a big sigh and go, I'm not quite sure what you want. That's what I call unclean training. That's a bit mucky, a bit muddy. So when you start yeah, when you start uh, down this process, uh, one of the things that I've always kind of noticed about you is that you like to 
first of all, show the learner what, what reinforcers are in play. And then you actually show reinforcement patterns early on, don't you? Yes, yes. I start, you know, the, the, the cycle tends to think ABC. You must start with the antecedent. I start with the consequences. So first of all, I'll probably have three main categories of patterns, if you like. Um, one, which is quite a lengthy pattern with a lot of anticipation, where we actually go to the reinforcement station. I have no food on me, and I want to begin every dog with the protocol that I'm not a food dispenser, I'm a shopper. <laughs> so I will mark, and even if I just take two steps in the kitchen towards where the treat pot's sitting, the dog will come with me, and then I'll give them the treat where they're standing. And then I'll step away from the treat pot, the dog orientates back to me, mark it, and then we go back to the treat pot again. That's just a check to make sure that the dog is not focused on me because I'm wearing a treat pot or a treat bag or I've got treats in my pockets. The dog is learning the process of two processes. First, they have to connect with me. And because they connect with me, I go shopping at the treat pot, find the very best treat and give it to them. If they were unable to make that connection that it's me that goes and gets the treat and they just stared at the treat pot, then we're pretty sure they've learned that staring at the food gets the food, not separating yourself from the food. And a lot of the stuff we have to teach dogs is how to come away from what they want. You know, they want to go and chase that rabbit. They want to go and sniff that post. They want to go and do this. They want to go and do that. And part of our parenting job is to actually teach them the skill of coming away from something, maybe getting that thing that you wanted or actually getting something else that's better instead. So come away from the rabbit because instead you, you and I are going to go and play football. So, you know, right from the beginning, the, the, the dogs are learning just from that protocol life skills then the second protocol would be um quite arousing I, I i don't like to see too much behavior feeding positions it tends to flatten the behavior a little bit further what do you mean um, by that? well if you're asking a dog to sit and say you have a plan that you want to teach the dog to sit to heal and set off with you with some animation, say for obedience or um, freestyle, or you want the dog to wait in a sit while you set up for an agility, that sit needs to be full of quite tight muscles and the dog sort of, it's got a suppressed energy building up there so they're ready to explode. But if every time you teach the sit, you feed in position, those muscles are naturally going to go, oh, great, I'll just sit here and relax because mm -hmm. it's going to be table service. You know, the, the weight is going to bring the food to me. I don't have to go and get it. So you've only got to go on one of these cruises to see what people do when they're <laughs> <laughs> the difference in people's behavior on the free flow service cafe <laughs> and in the restaurant. <laughs> In the restaurant, you know, they sit down and they lean back and they wait for table service. Whereas oh, in yes, that free are, flow are cafe, cruising around. remember <laughs> the cues? Yeah. It's like a school canteen and they're not elbowing each other out the way to get out. the queue. And I want, oh my goodness me, you fight for your food. Oh, yes. Let alone the ice cream counter. Oh, good Lord above. Yes. <laughs> so that's the difference there. You know, do we want the dogs quite competitive about chasing down that reinforcer mm. when I just toss it across the room, which is quite exciting for many dogs. But if it's an elderly dog and every time they do a behavior, they've got to go over there to go and get the treat. Oh, that can be just one step too far. So for that dog, it's not necessarily the best choice. But, you know, when you've got a high energy dog, 
letting them loose on a tree to go and get something can actually release a lot of that energy and then enable mm-hmm. them to do their sit or their down a bit easier. Yes, because they're yeah. not quite uh-huh. so suppressed in that behavior. But it also changes the topography of that sit. So if every time my dogs sit to heal and I want to do obedience and then they catch a treat forwards, that sit is going to be up on their tippy toes, sometimes to the point of lifting their butt off the floor too soon. So you have to watch for that. But you're gathering the energy in that because of that reinforcement process, as opposed to in heal, food always arise from heaven and I don't have to do anything. I can just stay here, click. Okay, open the gob, down it comes. You know, so the reinforcement process changes the dog's expectation of what's going to happen for doing that behavior. And that can wash back over that behavior very quickly before you teach any behavior i would assume part of your planning process is what's the reinforcement pattern going to be yeah for this particular behavior and that's where i would open the training any training session if the dog cannot come away from that treat pot and give me full focus we're not going to do any learning so if the dog's in an environment that's really competitive i would take it right down to table service yeah, so you sit there and the treats will come to you. I'm not going to drop them down your throat and you might have to take a step forward to get a treat. And I would tighten it right down so there's no risk of the dog chasing a treat and then struggling to come back and reconnect with me. So I would use the table service in an environment where there is a lot of competition from the environment. And I would use the chasing or the shopping protocols when there is a very little competition from the environment. And the dog can freely then feel safe to re-engage back with me. Yeah, yeah. What other reinforcement patterns do you use? Uh, Catching. Catching as... Catching too. The border collies like to be in goal. So they will do stuff out there and the food comes from me to them when they're facing me. Which is excellent for holding that position out there. Um, And they love to just catch out the air. But the Gordon so setters, toss. yeah, uh, tossing to them. Overhand. Um, okay. I would do an overhand like a dart for that one. Yep, like darts playing okay. darts. Bowling, that's my along the floor. But the Gordon mm-hmm. setters are not good at catching when it's coming towards them. They have to catch when it's going away from them. Okay. So their yeah, eyesight yeah. is better if they're coming after something that's in the air and they catch it out of the air. They're not good at seeing something perceptively coming at them. But, you know, quite a lot of people are like that. (laughs) So, um, and again, that changes the expectations, changes the expectations. Okay. And then we could go on to cup and a stick, but... uh, Well, that's luring. I mean, sure, food's going to come out my hand. Sometimes the dog will collect it from my hand. But the cup on a stick is just an extension of what you can do with your hands. So you can lure with your hands or you can lure with a cup on a stick. And the cup can actually fling that food across the room faster than a slingshot, which for a lot of dogs is very exciting. Or it can just slowly lower it and place it on the floor. So the actual reinforcement pattern for a cup on a stick is almost the same as it is for without a cup on a stick. Excuse me, the the, the cup on a stick is just an extension of using your hand. Of your arm, right. What I wouldn't do is let the dog take out the cup. No. You don't want them bumping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that yeah. stuff. Um, I, I hardly ever see you wear a treat pouch. I, yeah, no, not for me. I and just, why? well, A, I find them quite uncomfortable. 
<laughs> I'm not the shape for those treat pouches, especially ones that clip <laughs> on a, a waistband. I don't have a waistband. I have an elastic waistband. And it's never on the outside. It's always on the inside underneath, you know. So where would it go? Uh, I might have treats in my pockets. But when you've got a dog, you know, like a Gordon Setter, who knows if you've got a one-eighth millimeter crumb in your pocket and sit there snorting your pocket... I hardly ever wear treats either. You know, she's just a pest if she thinks I've got treats on board. But I do have treat boxes around the house. Oh, okay. You know, so there's one just yeah. outside the front door. There's one just above the kitchen uh, on the fridge. And these are like little boxes that you can flip up the lid with one hand. Really mm. cool. Ikea. Well, you look at the, you know, you go around the, the Ikea and, oh, I could use that. <laughs> yeah, and the, I don't know what they're for, but they're like... Um, got a sloping lid like a little bird box and you can push up the lid with one hand and gather what's in it so somebody knew i wanted one of those and so yeah brilliant yeah, things um but you're not you know philosophically opposed to people walking around with treat pouches. no but it's um it, you know uh it depends how you view it so the other day I saw a dog that was continually orientating on a marker to the right hand because his treat pouch was on the right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you're going to wear a treat pouch, it should be variable so it can come from either hand. I like treat pouches to be in the middle of your back. So it's not, yes. oh, this is always the way it's going to go. It could go this way, it could go that way. Um, after watching the marine mammal trainers with <laughs> wearing scuba ones. suits <laughs> with like... Um, <laughs> Tupperware boxes hanging off a piece Pretty of much. elastic. Oh. Uh, certainly, that opened up wearing fish was just like, oh my gosh. Take your hat after that. Yeah. Nasty. Yeah. But no, of course you can. If you're going to be mobile and need reinforcers, you'll have to wear them. I sort of look at treat pouches working in a shelter environment that uh, it, it takes very little time for dogs to see a person carrying a treat pouch. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that that's a good thing because then the dog is already understanding that, oh, that person has a treat pouch. Chances are there's going to be food. Okay, at least that person's going to be nice and give me something that I might actually value. Well, um, so it actually yeah, becomes yeah. a big fat cue. Yeah. Well, I, I know that in, in certain settings that would be a, not necessarily something you want to generate, but... Um, I figure any time I can condition the presence of a person, meaning, oh, my goodness, that person has a treat pouch. Well, we work with one of the um, shelter groups over here, and the dogs are very quick to discriminate between people who work there and were trainers and people who are just visitors. And, uh-huh. of course, they orientated to the trainers because they wore treat pouches and they were the people that trained them. So they yeah. set up, again, treat boxes. First, on the outside of the crate, on the fencing. So as the people walked around, they could initiate treat showers yes so instead of thinking oh people are looking at me in here treat showers would happen then the positioning of treat boxes increased to anybody at any time could collect a treat so there wasn't this great cue that these people have treats and those people don't have treats yeah who should i pay attention to who should i not pay attention so in other words a person can be a treat carrier at any time without being an obvious treat wearer sure Sure. Um, yeah. You know, and this this whole thing about, oh, if I put the treat pouch on, he'll do it. But if I don't carry treats on me, he won't. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they work out the difference well, fast. Yeah. Very fast. Very, very good. Mm. Um, so reinforcement patterns, you let them know early on mm-hmm. the consequences. Now, I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole of 
okay, what kind of reinforcers? What kind of foodstuffs? Um, well, that, do you uh, go through yeah. that whole process? Or do you, it depends on, you know, uh, it depends on what the pattern is supposed to do. So I'm not going to chuck dark brown treats across a dark brown floor. If I'm going to toss a treat, I would like the dog to be able to see this without any hesitation. So it needs to be contrasting. It needs to be large enough for them to see. Um, if certain dogs with um, the scent of fresh food causes them to snatch, then fresh food might not be the best starting point. Um, so the treats depend on your dog's needs, depend on how you want to deliver it. And some of this fresh food I ain't going to put in my pocket because, you know, ooh, stinky. You know, a friend of mine has to use fish. Oh, and if you stand near her at lunchtime, ooh, bloody. <laughs> it, it's not pleasant. So sometimes, you know, you think you go to the service station on the way home from a day's training. You don't want people standing there wondering if you stick. If not fish, bad fish. Oh, <laughs> What what are we the only people who wear inadvertently our treat pouches out to uh, to get a mani pedi and forget well, to wear the treat pouch yes, on? Yes, yes, yes. I, yeah. I actually managed to wash a t-shirt in a. Um, so I was wearing this t-shirt driving to a, a training day, and it was about a couple of hours drive. And I started to smell myself as I warmed up, and it was not nice. It really was bad meat. And what I'd done is I'd left some meat in the pocket of a jacket put the whole lot in the wash and basically washed all my clothes in meat, old meat as well. So as I warmed up, the smell got worse and worse. So I had to stop on the way and buy another T-shirt because, goodness me, I, I couldn't have gone in public wearing that. <laughs> oh, mm. yes. How many of us have walked into or sat into our car and went, oh, oh, I forgot to dump yes. that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're, you're hunting and riffling through all your backpacks going i know there's a poop bag in here somewhere oh, yes, i know yes. there's a poop bag or it's on your somewhere. shoe somewhere else like that yes and it's warming <laughs> up nicely kind of <laughs> i'm kind of amazed yeah when the heater hits yes. it yeah. oh the trials of being a dog trainer you see yes, uh, yes. 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 i'm actually quite amazed as as many dogs as i interact with during a week i do not step in much poop <laughs> I'm really amazed. By that. I had a delivery guy trekked across the lawn from the gate to the house because he didn't want me to carry this big box. And as he's coming across, I thought, oh my God, he's hit it twice. I mean, there must have been only two opportunities. I said, you're going to have to clean your shoes before you get back in the van. Oh, because yeah. <laughs> he was carrying the box. He wasn't looking where he was going. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay, yes. Mm -hmm. So um, okay. the other area that gets a bit mucky is markers and reinforcement patterns. So. If your yes. reinforcement pattern is the marker, which is the classic one is your elbow lifts because you're about to dip into the pouch, that becomes the marker for the behavior. So it limits the dog being able to do stuff without needing to look at you because they want to see when this marker is going to happen. So it's a visual marker. And you, you get a blur then between the reinforcement starting and you actually cleanly marking the behavior. So if you were working in the street with a dog and they spy another dog and they go silently on vigil, at that point you want to mark the fact that it's not escalating onto something else. You want to mark the fact that they're standing there silently. Click. Now, for a conditioned dog, at that point, if food suddenly arrives in their face, it might not be the reinforcer of their choice. And that dog needs to have the choice to choose what is reinforcing at that moment in time. So if I mark and they continually stare at this other dog, for that dog, that reinforcer is their choice, continually watching this other dog. 
watch the other but if right? I make them turn away to see what my hand's doing, then I'm putting them into some degree of conflict. So the second element of that is I want, if I'm using a marker, I want the dog, I want visual information that the dog has taken on board the mark. So same situation, the dog standing there, it sees another dog down the street, you mark. Even if he doesn't want to take his eyes off that dog, his ear will move to some degree. He said, yes, I heard you, but at this moment, I need to watch this dog. I'm watching this dog or this little bitch go, did you talking by? That's my choice. And it is their choice. So if I mark and he goes, oh, cool, food's coming, and he turns straight away to face me to connect with me, I, I get more information from that ability to disengage with what put them on alert than if I force them to come and take a treat. So we end mm -hmm. up with this treat process overwhelming the marker. And then we don't know whether the mark has been um, listened to, i.e. the dog said, oh, I got a mark there. Oh, are you going to feed me? And when they orientate to me is when I would begin the reinforcement process. So they're controlling the pace of what we're doing. So if I have a dog, particularly a collie, in the heel position at the side of me, and whatever they're doing, I mark it, for me, the marker releases them from that position. Mine will all jump to the front of me so they can watch me get the treat. But if they're at the side of me on my left and my treat's going to come from my right hand, when I mark, if my treat process is beginning, they're blind to that process beginning. So it tends to drag them forwards out of position. Even if you feed in position, that click will pull them round because they want to see whether your hand's going to the pocket or not. So just by keeping the elements clean, you know, the, the antecedent, the behavior and the consequence, they're three separate stages and the bits in between belong to the dog. So one of the areas that tends to blur is the behavior and the consequence all tend to mash into the same thing and the dog stops actually working out which part of the behavior got that consequence starting. But, oh, look at the other dog. Oh, there's food. Look at the other dog. Oh, and there's food as well. Jolly good. Look at the other dog and there's food. Do you want me to look at the other dog? Do you want to look at that? I, I don't know. Whatever. So the information yeah, we're trying to know. give over starts to become this, this muddy mess. I think you just kind of startled me for a little bit because I'm because then I desperately wanted to go down to okay so you're saying that I know I know we've had this conversation before and I'll just I'll be that person to say wait a second the, are you telling me the mark ends for the, the behavior and the mark starts the reinforcement pattern yeah is it both yeah yeah it's, both. Yeah. it's the transition between the two if you're using a marker but there's times when that marker is not helpful not helpful at all it's this wow that was good good stuff i'm going to get you a treat they are that's nice isn't it you don't need a marker because at this moment in time that marker would not give extra information yep if the reinforcement happens so if you've got the sort of behavior that's um uh it begins and it ends in like a sit a sit ends yeah, then mm -hmm. the dog has sat, you can start delivering the dog has sat. But if, you, if you're trying to teach a dog how to sit a different way, then the marker can convey different information. But if the marker's not going to make it clearer as to why you're marking, you don't need to use it. <gasps> <Interesting. gasps> 
So, yes, the marker is the transition. Um, Whether you want your marker to be conditioned, wait in position because it's table service, or whether you want your marker to be orientate to me and whatever I do next tells you what you're going to do, that's your choice. But you need to go down one path or the other. You can't mix and match. Do you use different markers to indicate different reinforcement patterns? I know a lot of people do The only one I have is the tongue clip for when I'm doing grooming um, husbandry. Mm. I need both hands on Merrick. Um, so she stands and watches her reinforcers, which are over the other side of the table. She can't reach them. And then if I lift a paw and I need to do some scissor work around her foot, um, I've got both hands free to do it. So I will tongue click, put the scissors down, go fetch a treat. And under the tongue click conditions, you stay where you are. It's going to come from the pot. Mm-hmm. But that's probably the only one I use that's different. So so let's talk a little bit about when you mark one of your one of your dogs and they they flip around and look in front of yeah. you so that tells you the information about the the relevancy of the marker yeah. um is that something that you have kind of taught your dogs that this is the reinforcement pattern for this marker see I'm, I'm a little confused because if your dog is in heel position and you mark you don't want them to necessarily get out of heel position do you yeah yeah that's yeah. what i'm okay. teaching if i'm teaching two different types of heel position one is this very formal high intensity heel position which is for um competition work yep Mm -hmm. absolutely my once my dog is marked it will come straight out of position then where i place the treat will set them up to do the repeat behavior so at the moment i'm teaching zip how to come from behind me up into that heel position where she's fully focused upwards so she's coming to the heel position. I mark it. I'll put the treat in the hand on the same side she is, and I will put it down on the floor behind me. So that takes her backwards. She eats, and then she comes straight back up into the heel position again. But when I mark, she's free to do what she likes until she sees where I'm setting up the eating point. If I'm walking down the street, I, I don't use any markers at all. Oh, some really interesting concepts and discussions, huh? In our next episode, we're going to talk more about clean training and what really might be acting as your marker. For more information and some great reading from many contributors, including Kay, go to Kay Lawrence's website, learningaboutdogs.com, or follow Learning About Dogs on Facebook. And here's my little plug. If you are looking for a new canine friend in your life, please consider your local rescue, animal shelter, or humane society.